It's 836, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We start off this program with three big things, things I think you need to know about to discuss at the water cooler, at the gym, at the lunch table. Big thing number one, it is the ongoing controversy involving United Airlines. Everybody's probably familiar with this story by now. Um, Sunday afternoon on a United Express flight from O'Hare to Louisville. It is an overbooking situation. All right, so they've sold more tickets. They decide that, okay, we, we, we ask for, they ask for volunteers. They offer people like $800 or whatever, and then you have to stay overnight in Chicago, fly the next day. They don't get any takers. Now, the overbooking isn't because apparently they have too many passengers. It is because United wants to get a flight crew that is in Chicago to Louisville so they can be on a flight the following day which I say two words, rental car. But but beyond that, so they decide, okay, if we can't get any people to offer this, to take our offer, what we will do is we will randomly select people. They select a couple, those people leave. Next it comes up, they randomly select, as it turns out, an Asian doctor. He says, I'm not leaving. They physically, and you've seen the pictures, they bring security folks on. They drag this man out. He bangs his um, head against, his face against the armrest. He's bleeding. He's pulled off. Cell phone video is very, very dramatic. Passengers are all up in arms about this. The CEO of United Airlines, who complete idiots are rare, but this guy is a complete idiot. Instead of recognizing the public relations debacle that he has, says, well, we we, we just followed our procedure. The passenger became unruly. Well, he only became unruly when you tried to throw him off the plane when he said he was not going to leave. I mean, my goodness gracious. So... This is, of course, a complete and total debacle. It continues to get worse because a number of people are wondering whether there was a racial element to this. If this guy was this guy was Asian, so all right, you know, would would they have done this to somebody else? What if this was an African American man that was dragged off? Would they have done that? I wonder whether this is a gender thing as well. What if that was a female? You know, would you have had security people manhandle a woman in the same way that they manhandled this guy? It is just a complete and total debacle. But United Airlines says, well, in the small print under our contract, you know, we are allowed to to do that. Now, the way there is a law that regulates this whole overbooking situation. The Department of Transportation has comp- has rules with regard to compensation due to flyers who are involuntarily denied boarding. An involuntarily bumped traveler who arrives at his final destination more than four hours late is entitled to a maximum of $1,350. Now, this does not mean that the airline could not offer the person more than $1,350 to give up their seat. It just means if the person gets there four hours late, more than four hours late because they were involuntarily bumped and they file a claim under federal law, they could only get 1350 United could have given somebody 2000 or $3,000 to give up their seat. They were too cheap to do that. In the event there are not enough volunteers, as in the case of what happened on Sunday, um, United's policy says preference will be given to qualified individuals with disabilities, unaccompanied minors under the age of 18, or minors between the ages of 5 to 15 who are using their unaccompanied minor service. So that's nice. They're not going to toss off 12-year-olds without uh, any sort of uh, choice. Um, Beyond that, United does not have a hard and fast rule. It only says that priority of all other confirmed passengers may be determined based on fare class, whether they're frequent flyer, etc., etc., etc. 
Now, in this case, again, it wasn't just overbooking. It was they wanted to get a flight crew to Louisville. As somebody who flies occasionally, I used to fly a lot more. I understand the appeal of volunteering to give up your, your seat in exchange for you know some sort of benefit. But at the same time, I also understand the need to get where you are going. And if you, for example, you buy a ticket. If, I, if I'm flying, if I'm taking a trip to Las Vegas, you know, in, in three months, and I know I have to be back to do a radio show at 8.30 on a Monday morning, and I buy a ticket right now, pay for it, with the understanding that I'm gonna, I'm buying a ticket for a 6 p.m. flight out of Las Vegas, knowing it's going to get me in here about midnight, so I will be able to come to work the next morning. The idea that United Airlines can just unilaterally decide that they are going to bump me, they're going to toss me off, that they are going to... Maybe not technically violate the contract, because I guess it's in the small print, but they can just decide, Wagner, you're off the plane, regardless of the fact that we've taken your money, we have sold you the seat, I think is nothing short of appalling. Here's what the follow-up is to me. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it time for the federal government to step in? Is it time for the federal government, and they regulate airlines out the gazoo, is it time for the federal government to say, no more overbooking no more involuntarily bumping people because if you say all right if people have a ticket they are entitled to that seat i guarantee you the airlines will in fact change their policies is the upshot of what happened yesterday and what has happened before a lot of people apparently over the in any given year are involuntarily booked or involuntarily bumped we just don't hear the story is it time for the federal government to step in and say you can't oversell you are not allowed to oversell if somebody doesn't show up it's fine to put a cancellation penalty in or not offer them a refund of their ticket or whatever but you know it's time to stop this if you sell a ticket somebody pays for that they are entitled to that seat and you can't toss them for someone else or for a flight crew, 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think maybe that's what the government needs to do. If United's not going to change, if the industry isn't going to change, maybe the industry needs to be forced to change by law. 842, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Forty-six, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, you're first. Good morning. Morning, Jeff. I normally agree with you all the time, but I couldn't disagree with you more. Uh, this, we wouldn't be having this conversation if this Yahoo didn't get have a fight with the. Uh, the, Wait, the oh, oh, let me stop you, Mike. Why, why do you say he's a Yahoo? The man buys a ticket. He's made plans. He's got to be in Louisville the next day. He's sitting in in the seat that he purchased, and United Airlines comes on and tells him you have to leave. We're randomly bumping you, and he says he's not going. Why does that make him a Yahoo? Well, because um, anybody who travels with any regularity knows that there's always delays. I was I just flew into uh, into uh, New York the other day, and we were delayed an hour and a half because of high winds. Yeah, but but this um, isn't a, this isn't a delay. I mean, sure, you understand that there's going to be weather delays. In this case, he's got a ticket. He's sitting on his in the seat. He's not being delayed because of weather or there's a mechanical problem. They are right. throwing and, and, him and off he, the plane. And he could have been entitled if of a four hour delay by for thirteen hundred dollars. Yep, it's it's four and a half hours from Louisville 
to Chicago in a car. Yep. And this guy overreacts, and he's uh, uh, screaming and yelling, and, and the he could have just got off. The other three other people on that plane got off, and there wasn't an incident. We don't hear about them. Well, no, so it would be because because they were obviously intimidated when United tossed them off. But I guess the, the bigger point is you don't have a problem with the airline just overselling the tickets and then throwing people off randomly and screwing up their plans. Well, I think that that, if you look and see how many times that that happens where they have to do that, like, again, I was delayed in that flight in New York, and when we we connected, they were overbooked. And they said, we're we're asking for volunteers for vouchers. And usually on a plane, you can find, don't tell me you can't find four senior citizens, government workers, somebody who doesn't care whether they get to their destination Today or five hours. Well, but now. but I guess that that's fine. And if United Airlines had perhaps offered more than eight hundred dollars, maybe they could find somebody. But does that I mean that they, they should should have offered more? Right. I mean, th- I guess I guess I just uh, thanks to call. I just where I disagree with you. I don't think this guy is a Yahoo. Um, I've got the numbers. The S. I'm looking at a New York Times story. It says that um, uh, the number of United passengers who were involuntarily bumped off of flights last year. Point zero zero four percent. What that translates into raw numbers, I got to look. But but I mean, it doesn't. It does in fact happen. I mean, I, I guess I don't think the passenger is to blame. I don't think he's he's a Yahoo. You let him on the plane. He has paid for his, his ticket. The problem is airlines routinely overbook, and this is an even more aggravating circumstance because this isn't just that they sold too many tickets. They wanted to throw off four paying passengers to put one of their crews on there because again they. They were apparently so disorganized that they didn't know how to get a flight crew to Louisville. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, let's talk to, um, let's see, let's go to uh, Gary in Greenfield. Gary, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Well, good morning, Jeff. Uh, great show. Thanks. And what a great topic. Uh, I, I was very fortunate to uh, work for Midwest Airlines for eight years and work in the customer service part of it, meaning at the gate, and what I witnessed on the news at United was horrible, because we've been in that we've done that, we've overbooked, and we bend over backwards to go through the plane. Uh, Well, initially what they do is, if no one does volunteer, you look at the last people that checked in. Right. And then, if that doesn't work, you just do everything you can Including adding incentives and adding incentives till you finally get somebody to to take the, take the deal. You make it worth their while. Oh, geez, I couldn't believe what I witnessed. But, well, and, I mean, I, uh, I Gary, would you, I, mean, I am curious if that had been if that had been a female. Can can you imagine security manhandling a woman like that and dragging her off the plane? Oh, That's, boy, <laughs> I mean, it, it should never get to that. You you find a way, and I'm not saying eleven thousand dollars would right. do it. You find a way to work out a motel room, a meal, and some compensation. And I'll tell you what, you got a plane of a hundred people, you will find them somebody yeah, without right. having to do anything like that. Right, right. Thanks for calling. I mean, I guess I. I go back to this basic thing, though. I mean, I understand the whole idea of supply and demand, and, and but but I'm having trouble with this whole overbooking notion, the knowingly selling more tickets. Now, I, I understand that there's always a percentage of no-shows, but as a general rule, you, you put in a cancellation penalty. So, for example, United's going to get the money anyways. Let's say I buy a ticket. I spent $300 for a ticket, one-way ticket to Las Vegas or whatever it is. I, I don't show up. 
all right, it, it's perfectly fair for me for United to keep that money. I haven't showed up. I've lost it. It's like if I buy a seat, if I go to a, a Brewers game and I buy a ticket and I don't show up, well, they play the game anyways. I'm not going to be able to get a refund. So United is going to get that money one way or the other. The idea that you can essentially sell the same seat twice this overbooking thing, accounting for no-shows, keep the money from the person who doesn't show up and then still make even more money because you've sold two tickets for one seat. I I just really question whether or not the government – and I'm not a big government intervention guy, but that whole business practice, especially if this is how United's going to handle things. Andrea in Waukesha, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Oh, good morning. I was just listening, and I was pretty much – enraged after I heard the first caller comment about how government workers don't care if they're going to be somewhere and have to get <laughs> yeah, You've got a meeting. You've got a presentation. You've got to be somewhere <laughs> the next day. Right. It happens to all of us. Yeah, you got to be there. Well, but my my story is, well, I mean, it's along those lines, and I didn't necessarily get bumped, but we had plane, plane troubles, and I was stuck in Arizona. I was supposed to be at a conference in Southern California. Right. And they don't care. Yeah. <laughs> they don't they don't care if you paid for a ticket. I was going to San Luis Obispo for a conference, which is a southern, you know, California, sure. it's a smaller airport. But they had plane troubles and they turned around halfway um to San Luis from Phoenix and said, The airport there is too small, we have to come back to Phoenix. So sure. came back to Phoenix and sat in the airport for twelve hours. They said, Well we can rebook you to Santa Barbara. And I said, but I'm not going to Santa Barbara. <laughs> right, right. I, I don't want to go to Seattle. I want to go to, like, Los Angeles or whatever. Sure, yeah. And I said, you can get me to Santa Barbara. That's fine. And then are you going to pay for me to take a bus down to San Luis Obispo? Because that's where I paid to go. Right. And I guess the, 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 the point is is that I, would, I wouldn't want to get off the plane either. Yeah, I, I would. Now, look, and I understand. I mean, our, our first caller, Mike, was saying, well, you know, I, I, I've, I've had flights canceled because of mechanical things or weather. I understand. That is something that is not in the control of the airline. All right. You've got some major thunderstorms over Chicago. So your flight, they're not taking off flights because they can't land. I understand that. That's beyond the control of the airline. This was in the control of the airline. This was a conscious decision that they made. Um, well, and I- ironically, on the way home, <laughs> uh, there was smog getting uh, into LAX from San yeah. And so we had to fly around for 45 minutes waiting for the Eastern Air Airlines or Eastern flights to, to land first. And right. I missed my connecting right. flight. Right. So and, I stuck in the airport in LAX, which I understand, and it's not their fault. So right. I ended up, you know, taking a later flight and getting in at midnight and landing in Chicago, not connecting to Milwaukee like I was supposed to, but that I understand. I didn't have any right. be, and if I would have been bumped, it wouldn't be a big deal. But this gentleman obviously had to go somewhere and had to be there. Right. And he was and on the plane. He's sitting in... He's, thanks for He's sitting in... That's the other thing that is just... I mean, it, there, there's a list of... Again, I'm talking about the big picture. Do we need to do something to stop this from happening in the future, and should the government step in? But, I mean, if you just look at how screwed up this was, you let him on the plane? I mean, that's the bizarre. If you're in this overbooking thing, once you get people on the plane, if they decide that they're not going to leave, then you have invited this situation. We continue the conversation next. 854, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 857, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We're going to carry this conversation over the new, uh, over the news hour. So please stick around. Um, 
we will uh, do that as well. Let's see. Uh, Joe writes, um, I'm okay with the airlines double dipping when someone doesn't show and they proceed to fill the seat with another paying customer, but bumping someone because they intentionally overbooked just in case is ridiculous. They have made their money for that flight. I'm surprised this has not been addressed already. I mean, I understand. If I buy a ticket and I don't show up, Obviously, the airline shouldn't have to refund that money. That seat has gone missing. But the idea that I show up and they've overbooked and they want to make double money for that, that's where I have the issue. 414-799-1620 is the number. Uh, Matthew in Cambridge. Matthew, good morning. Yes, good morning. Can you hear me okay? I can, yes, sir. All right. I was an employee of United Airlines until February of this year, and I quit, and I went to work for an, uh, a competitor of theirs. Yes. But one of the things that is interesting about this conversation is that um, there's a process that goes with um, choosing who does not travel in this situation. And though the employees of United made some bad decisions by not deciding who wasn't going to travel earlier, before they boarded. Um, once they boarded, the TSA actually makes the determination who gets bumped if they don't have enough volunteers. Well, they, the story I understand is they just did. A, they said they did a random con- computer search, and names, whatever names came up, is what names came up. Correct. Yes. But that 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 TSA is notified. Yeah. The carrier would be told, okay, these are the four passengers because you didn't have the volunteers. Right. And I guess, and see, I appreciate that, Matthew. I guess my, my larger point, though, is I don't think the airline should be able to do that. I mean, they've sold that that seat. And the idea that you're going to be able to just essentially force a paying customer out of a seat that they are sitting in, whether it's selected randomly or not, that's what I think is the issue. And that's the thing that, you know, maybe this is where I think maybe the government is looking at. Just a couple final thoughts on – and. Um, jam phone lines, of course, our text line just exploding and everybody having different theories. I, My issue with overbooking is, again, sen- selling the same seat twice. I think, first of all, if I buy a seat, I should be entitled to that. I think the airlines have every right to say if you don't show up for your flight, you know, you lose your ticket price. Or if you only if you cancel 24 hours beforehand, you only get a refund of 20 percent or whatever. They have the right to set those rules. But selling the same seat twice, I think, is fundamentally wrong. And I do believe it should be against uh, policy. That being said, even if you disagree with that. Could United Airlines have handled this in a worse way? I, I mean, seriously, at some point in time, I mean, just think, let us say, and a number of people are making this point on our text line, let us say, all right, they, they offered $800 and a hotel stay. That's what they ultimately, an eight, not $800 in cash. They offered, my understanding is an $800 credit voucher for future flights um, and then an overnight hotel stay. And that wasn't a sweet enough deal to get somebody to take it. I think, think of all the bad publicity United has gotten. I, I'm going to be really interested to see where their stock price finishes in the next day or two as a result of this debacle. I believe it was down substantially yesterday. I mean, this this debacle 
has the potential to cost United Airlines millions and millions and millions of dollars as air travelers decide when you have choices, do you want to fly United Airlines if this could, in fact, happen to you? I mean, this the bad publicity is just incredible, and it doesn't appear that United has a way and an idea as to how to get ahead of this. Just think what would have happened if instead of offering $800 in airline credit, and that's what I believe they did, let, let's let's say they kept offering upping the offer. Let, let's say instead of an airline line credit, you got to a point where you had to say, we're offering $1,500 in cash. $1,500 in cash will put you on the next flight, um, which is the next day, and will pay for your hotel. My guess is, if you offered $1,500 in cash, you would have had four people saying, we'll take it. So, all right, 1500 times four, um, 6000 bucks. 6000 bucks overnight stay, and this whole thing goes away. Instead of this what they're facing now, which is a major, major, major public relations crisis that will, again, cost millions and millions of dollars, maybe even more. You want to talk about being penny wise and pound foolish in a situation like this, because, again, maybe you disagree with me that the government needs to step in and throw in a little bit of extra regulation. I think we can all agree, though, or at least most of us can agree, that is trying to figure out how to handle this from a crisis management perspective um, United Airlines could not have botched it worse. Coming up next, big story number two. U.S. Senator Ron Johnson turns the table on a group of merry pranksters. I'll tell you about it, and we will discuss. It's 913, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 916, Jeff Wagner. John from New Berlin. John from New Berlin is our daily winner of our Follow the Brewers contest. He qualifies for a chance to be our weekly grand prize winner. We'll draw that on Friday. We do this at approximately 9.10 every day, approximately, right after the uh, morning news ends. So keep listening for your chance to win and to follow the Brewers. And once again, thanks to all our sponsors, West Bend, the Silver Lining, Noodles and Company, and, of course, uh, News Radio 620 WTMJ. Really glad to be a part of that. Big names such as Pepsi and United Airlines are facing scrutiny in large part because of social media-driven backlash. Without video to fuel the fire, do you think these companies would face the PR nightmare that they are at the moment? Scafidi and Billstat discussed today at 1235. Okay, big story number two. The, 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 The background on this, and I'm going to play a clip that we had on the news last week because there is a follow up to this. Um, Ron Johnson, U.S. Senator Ron Johnson, has over the years held numerous town hall events. What's been happening since President Trump was inaugurated is you have a lot of these lefty activists who have been showing up and disrupting town hall uh, events. You know, uh, Jim Sensenbrenner, for example, who thrives on this, you know, he, he goes and has them, but he's being trolled. You've got lots of people from even outside the district that show up. They've got the pre-printed questions that they ask. They shout. In many cases, they try to disrupt the proceedings. And some Republicans are just saying, you know, we, we're just we're just not going to put up with this, so we're not going to have them. Johnson, he's been having town halls, but he's been doing them telephonically. That gives you sort of more more control. And at some point in time, I'm sure he's going to resume doing this. Johnson has this character who has been trolling his office on one given day. He called 83 times, 83 times. That's getting into stalker territory. As I said last week, my one of God's way of telling you that you've got too much time on your hands is if you can call the same place 83 times. Um, in addition, 
you know, the, the same guy would call um, ever since Trump was inaugurated multiple times a day. And finally, Johnson's people, you know, sent him a note saying, hey, you got to stop this. If you don't do this, we're going to consider calling the police, you know, for looking at you for harassment or or whatever. So the word gets out. And then there's this this group of lefty activists, quote unquote, pranksters, cards against humanity, who I will play you the clip. They decide we're outraged. We're outraged that Ron Johnson is not being responsive to this guy who's called 83 times. And so they cook up this scheme where people give them five bucks, and for five bucks, they will then send a potato to Ron Johnson's office, a potato, saying, hold town hall meetings or or whatever. And the plan was that there were supposed to be 2,059 potatoes sent to Ron Johnson's office and delivered yesterday. And so this Cards Against Humanity, this, this crackpot group of lefties, um, they, 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 they call all the TV stations. Here, we're going to have this big photo thing. This is going to be it. We're going to get all this attention. We're ha, 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 ha. Well, what, what happens is one of Ron Johnson's staffers goes to the post office on Saturday to pick up the mail. And these potatoes, at least a large group of them, were shipped in a postal truck. So they're there on Saturday. So they pick them up on Saturday. So... This huge photo op, it turns into a complete and total nothing burger because all these potatoes that were supposed to be delivered on Monday in front of all the cameras, well, they, most of them don't show up. <laughs> you know, so, so Johnson's staffer gets them, and presumably they go to a, a, a food bank. But th- this group continues to be proud of itself. Now, here's a clip that we had on our news last week from the guy who was organizing this protest. You know, we're a pretty disinterested party in this, right? We, we're based in Chicago. We're not Wisconsin voters. But we saw this crazy news story uh, that came across uh, our desk that uh, Senator Johnson's office had actually sent a cease and desist letter to a constituent of his who had called his office um, some number of times asking him to hold a meeting. And Okay, now, by the way, that, that, that cease and desist order to the constituent, this is the guy who called Johnson's office 83 times on one day, 83 times on one day, and had made multiple calls on other days. All right, wonder how they would feel if they had somebody that was doing that. Okay, let's continue a statement. For me, just just not as like a Wisconsin voter or anything, just as an American, it just, it just something about that just upset me so much. It just felt so cruel it's like you know it's like not as a partisan issue even but it's like this guy's job as a u.s senator like really his one job is just to listen to people like even if they're angry just let people yell at you like that doesn't that doesn't hurt anyone just let them be mad at you and say what they believe about health care and he just wouldn't even give people the dignity of listening to them that's his whole job i bet we could be a lot more annoying than this guy who called his office a few times and uh, we started thinking about, like, what's something that's sort of, like, cheap but heavy but really inconvenient that we could just send a million of them to his office and uh, send the message that, that just just to, for the sake of simply doing his job, he should hold a town hall and hear from people. Honestly, I hope that it's incredibly annoying for him and his staff that receiving thousands of potatoes from people all over the country. I hope that it drives them insane, and I hope that every moment of their day is consumed by uh, annoyance and inconvenience dealing with these potatoes as they continue to not do the simple job of listening to their constituents. Just listen to people. Just let them yell at you. I mean, that's the whole job. This guy, in my opinion, is a class A grade one jack wagon jerk. Now, I, this, all right, now, first of all, kudos to Johnson 
because he completely and totally turned the tables on this. Oh, we're going to see all these potatoes. Okay, th- those disappear. But listen to what this character says. I hope it, it's annoying. I hope it's really inconvenient. I hope the day of Ron Johnson's staffers, I hope their days are consumed by inconvenience and annoyance. I hope it drives them insane. Okay, here's what I would say to this jack wagon. All right, what is the senator doing on a given day? What are the staff doing? Well, they're helping senior citizens work through issues they might have with Social Security. Maybe you've got the widow who's trying to get her disability payments so she can, you know, help fund things with family. Maybe the senator's working on, again, any sort of constituent calls. And you have this jerk who has decided, all right. I'm going to try to, here, we're going to send millions of potatoes. Well, they didn't get millions of potatoes. They got 2,000 potatoes total, and most of them got, again, apparently taken taken away, so they didn't even get the photo opportunity. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I am so happy that Ron Johnson turned the tables on this group. More important. I don't think Johnson is doing anything wrong, and excuse me, but I'm not going to be criticizing him for trying to avoid some of these confrontational town halls, and I'm certainly not going to be too sympathetic to the fact that a guy who calls the office 83 times in one given day, yeah, they're calling the co- they're threatening to call the cops and saying maybe we need a cease and desist order. All right. Did Ron Johnson handle this properly, and what do you think about this tactic by these jerks? who have decided that, at least in my opinion, they want to try to disrupt the ongoing offices of Ron Johnson, which means let's kind of screw over the constituents. Let's try to divert people away from the senator helping them get what they need from the government. We discuss next. 924, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 926, Jeff Wagner, how did he become the only governor in American history to win a recall election? What was it like to go toe-to-toe with Donald Trump in a presidential debate? Governor Scott Walker sits down with me. It is a week from tomorrow, next Wednesday night, a week from Wednesday, and you can be there to see it live. It's Insight 2017 at the Country Springs Hotel in Pewaukee. Tickets are available now. They're going fast. Uh, go online, WTMJ.com. We'll see you there. Jarrell in Waukesha. Jarrell, good morning. Good morning. Um, I couldn't disagree more. I think that um, I don't know. If you couldn't disagree with my, my sending 2,000 potatoes and trying to disrupt the office of Ron Johnson so he can't help so, his constituents is a so good idea? I don't know if um, doing a prank is the best way to go about it, but the bad guy is not these people. The bad guy is people, uh, congresspeople like Ron Johnson, take money hand over fist from weapons manufacturers, take money hand over fist from oil companies, take money hand over fist from Wall Street and vote accordingly. Yet they refuse to hold it a public uh, town hall with but, their constituents. But, but he, he, Johnson's had a ton of te- – that. okay, I, I mean, again, put on the tinfoil hat or, you know, that that's okay. All right, he's this evil guy. I mean, first of all, Johnson has town halls. He's had a number of town halls. He will have town halls in the future. The problem with his going on now, and he continues to have electronic town halls, the problem with what is going on now is you have a bunch of the anti-Trump nuts that are out there that show up and disrupt these things. You've got the trolls. You've got the guy that calls 83 times. And so... This idea that, well, Ron Johnson's not responsive to his constituents. We had an election last November, and an overwhelming majority of people in Wisconsin who voted, 
side said, no, we, we do believe that Ron Johnson's doing a very, very good job. So this idea that you're not responsive to your constituents because you're, you're not showing up at a town hall where you have all these astroturf people that are out there with talking points who are trying to get themselves on TV by being disruptive. Sorry, I, I don't buy that. Now, you might disagree with Ron Johnson. Okay, that's why elections matter. And I'm sure, Jarrell, you went out and you voted for Russ Feingold. But you know what? The truth was Ron Johnson won and he won big. My only point is doing things like this is completely and totally counterproductive because the day to day operations of a U.S. Senate, first of all, you're not going to change Ron Johnson's opinion. You can go and you can scream and you can moan or whatever, but you know that doesn't mean that just because you are loud, just because you are the squeaky wheel, it doesn't mean that you are necessarily representing more. But number two, I mean, the, the idea that we're going to try to, and I was listening to this character talk, we're going to try to drive the staff insane. We want the day consumed by annoyance and inconvenience. We want to annoy them. We want to essentially try to shut down the senator's operations. Well, what are the senator's operations? Again, in most cases, it's helping constituents try to navigate the, the maze of the federal government. It's, hey, you know, my, my class is coming to, we're, we're having a field trip to Washington, D.C. Can you set up these different tours? Yeah, really smart. Let's try to let's try to disrupt the people who are trying to do that. Again, if you want to call Johnson's office 83 times and whine about the fact in one day, well, I think that makes you a stalker. And I think it makes you, you know, maybe somebody who should be getting that type of letter. Imagine if somebody called this this Cards for Humanity outfit. Imagine if somebody was calling them 83 times a day. Do you think that they might be calling the cops as well? I would think so. Bottom line, though, in this particular situation, Johnson wins because they had scheduled, like I say, this huge photo op. We're going to make our point. Well, they go down, they pick up the potatoes on Saturday, and presumably they've gone to a food bank or something like that. It's Ron Johnson one, crazy lefties zero. It is 935, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. If you receive today's TMJ4 over the air, in other words, if you use rabbit ears or an antenna to watch TV, you may experience a temporary reduction or loss of the station signal over the next couple days. This is due to a technical upgrade. The folks at TMJ4 say will be completed soon. They will be back up to full power as quickly as possible. Please be patient. San Bernardino, California. You wonder if there's something in the water. If, if that... That city's name sounds familiar in connection with horrific acts. Well, um, December of 2015, you might remember there was a mass shooting in which 14 people were killed when a couple opened fire at a holiday party held by the county's health department. That I, I understand. Unfortunately, there's so many of these just crazy acts and these mass shootings. But if you're thinking San Bernardino, why am I thinking San Bernardino? Well, that's they were in the news December of 2015. Again, the shooting outside the health department. Well, it 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 happened again. Uh, a school shooting yesterday morning, about 10:30 in the morning at, at an elementary school. What happened was a 53 year old guy. His name is Cedric Anderson walked into a classroom armed with a large caliber revolver and opened fire without saying anything. He killed his wife. She was a special education teacher, so she's in the classroom. She's 53 years old. He he gets into the school. He walks into the classroom. He starts shooting. He kills her. He ends up, um, ends up uh, shooting 
um, you know, other students, two students were injured, and one of the children later died in a hospital. So he walks into the classroom with the revolver, apparently doesn't say anything, and just starts opening fire. He's shooting at his wife, but I, I think their theory is there's a couple of these kids that are in the vicinity, and whether they're hit directly or what, whatever, don't exactly know, and then he kills himself. So just a horrible sort of story. They had been married for several months, not years, but several months, and were estranged. So this is, you know, who knows exactly what's going on. Uh, the police chief says that the shooter, the Cedric Anderson, does have a criminal history. Records show that he had faced criminal charges of brandishing a weapon um, and and assault. So he, he has a criminal history. Now, when I first heard this story, my question was, how did he get into the, the school? And, okay, school officials, this is, this is where it gets odd, and it becomes complicated. Um, school officials say... Anderson had gone to the classroom to visit Smith, who was his estranged wife. They say that there was no indication that the suspect's handgun was visible when he entered the school. Okay, so he's got the gun in his pocket or something like that, or under his jacket or whatever, so you don't see the gun, but but he's carrying the gun. He shows up, he goes to the front office, he tells employees that he wanted to drop something off with his wife. They say, go on over, and he then heads to the classroom. Um, they say it is not uncommon for a spouse to gain access to a school campus to meet with their partner. And then they say, okay, he walked in and he started shooting. So apparently there was absolutely or almost no screening. There's not metal detectors, there's not checks. It's just the estranged husband shows up, says, hey, I've got something for my wife to drop off. They say, okay, go ahead on to the classroom. And in this case, he goes and he starts shooting. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Was this shooting preventable? Is there something more that schools need to do to make sure that people, even people going into the office, even people related to the folks they want to see, in this case, the husband. Do you need to do more? Should there, been a, should there have been a metal detector? Should there have been some check? Or do we just automatically assume that once somebody stops at the office, especially if they're married, even though it's an estrangement situation, that, that okay, they're going to be safe? Is this is this a situation that cries out for metal detectors, for example, to screen people before they get into schools? Or was this just, I guess the flip side would be, this is just a one-off. You have family members coming to see teachers or school officials or aides all the time. We don't need to screen them. Is this something that calls for more screening of people coming to schools? Or is this just, well, it was a freaky situation it doesn't happen very often. It's just the price we pay for a free society. Should the school have done more to screen this guy out, particularly if he had criminal charges and was separated from his wife? 414-799-1620. Tell you where I come on down on this, and we will discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 940 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 943 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. He is at the forefront of Wisconsin's fight against the ugly opioid epidemic. This is kids who are dying because they get hooked on prescription pain pills and then turn to heroin. 
Uh, next Wednesday night, a week from tomorrow, you'll get a chance to gain insight in the battle he's waging across the state. As a matter of fact, um, Attorney General Brad Schimmel, he's going to be one of our featured guests, joining me at the Country Springs Hotel for Insight 2017. Matter of fact, earlier that day, he's presenting at a national opioid abuse conference in Atlanta. He's coming from the airport to uh, join us. Uh, if, if you've got, if you've got. High school kids or middle school kids who are going into high school, it's worth the price of admission to, to see Brad, to hear him talk about this section uh, on this segment. It's a topic that hits close to home for many, and it's a night you won't want to miss. Tickets are available now online at WTMJ.com. Insight 2017, a week from tomorrow night. That is Wednesday, April 19th. Okay, the San Bernardino shooting. If you haven't been following it, what happened yesterday is a husband, 53-year-old guy, with apparently a criminal record. Um, is estranged from his wife, who is a special education teacher. He shows up at school. He's got a revolver, apparently hidden. I don't know if it's under a jacket or whatever. He says, hey, I've got something to drop off for my wife. School officials say, oh, going over to the classroom. He goes into the classroom, pulls out the gun, starts shooting, kills her, hits a couple of the kids who I think are probably around her. One of them ends up dying, and then he kills himself. And now the question becomes, was this preventable? On our text line, we have somebody who writes, if you install metal detectors at school, you'll need an armed police officer standing by to man it. How many schools in the U.S. were in session yesterday that had nothing happen? Hundreds of thousands. I take that point. If I were to be critical, though, here, here's what I've been thinking about. I have several friends who have elementary, middle school, and high school students For the moms and dads who volunteer to go on field trips or to go on classroom, you know, outings or volunteer to be in in the classroom, I don't think there's a one that doesn't have to go through a background check. Now, in this particular case, the husband of the teacher has, in fact, a criminal history. If I'm going to fault the school, it's not necessarily because of the fact that they don't have metal detectors, because I agree that that might not be practical. But but shouldn't spouses? I mean, if I, if you have to go through a background check to be allowed on campus to serve, you know, cookies uh, in your in your daughter's fifth grade class, how in the world can a guy who has a, a history of you know violence? Um, at least arrests for that, uh, criminal charges of brandishing a weapon, assault, and all sorts of other stuff. How could that guy be allowed? I don't care if he's married to the teacher or not. Should he just be allowed to walk into a school? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk to uh, Shernaz in Brookfield. Good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hi. Good morning, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Thank you for calling. Yeah. I'm kind of uh, curious that the school staff should have taken the stuff right at the gate instead of letting him inside. Mm -hmm. Right, not even letting him go to the classroom. Say, okay, you've got something to drop off. Sure, drop it off here. You don't need to go to the classroom. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, because probably the class is... Hello? ...a lecture, or there might be something, you know, the the kids are busy... And uh, it can, uh, I mean, less expense for the security and metal detector and all that. And they should have taken right there, you know, and not letting anybody during the school session come in. Um, I think, you know, that, that's, I mean, that, that's a very interesting point as well. I mean, why, why, do, 
why do you have to let the husband actually go to the classroom? He's got something to drop off for her. Fine. You just, okay, you know, here, we'll, we'll take it. Or or you want to see her. Okay, fine. You know, we'll, we'll have you. You can come and meet him that's there. I, I think that's an interesting thing, too. I think metal detectors are impractical, and I'm not advocating that because you, you need somebody to staff them. I, I do, I, I'm, I am going back to this background check thing because like I say you if you if as a parent you need to go through a background check before you can get into the classrooms before you can get past that office you know why is it that the spouse and in this case the estranged spouse of of an employee how can you give them free access? And the fact that, well, we didn't see he had, a, he had a gun on him. Well, there wasn't metal detectors. Nobody patted him down. And I understand you're not going to necessarily do that. But but wouldn't a background check perhaps be in order? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, let's, talk, uh, let's talk to, uh, let's see, Mickey in West Bend. Mickey, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I was just going to say, I taught in an elementary school for many years as well. Obviously, there were no metal detectors. Right. Uh, the office is locked. I'm curious if the office was aware of what had been going on. I think that should have been a red flag had she made that known to them. Right. Pro- my guess uh, is probably not, but I don't know for sure. Because I would I would sure hope, Mickey, that if she had said, hey, I'm separated from my husband, I don't want to see him. <laughs> I would have sure hoped if he showed up, they wouldn't have just let him walk through. So I'm assuming right. not, but I don't know for sure. Yeah. Right. And that's something I probably would have done if I were in that situation. Sure. Secondly, I think even in our school, which was not that large or anything, the secretary probably would have aid or called down, said, your husband's here, he's got something for you, right. someone that can cover your room, or B, could you just leave it here, we'll make sure she gets it. Yeah, as opposed to just letting the guy wander through through the school, because you right. really, just because you're married to one of the employees doesn't right. necessarily mean that you don't pose a risk. What about right. the idea of doing a background check on the spouse? I mean, if, if you're going to do a background check on cl- on classroom volunteers, shouldn't you do a background check on anybody that you're going to let on the premises? Right, but what do you say, like right then and there? No, I mean beforehand. I mean, I, I guess I, but beforehand, uh, you know, no, not you're not obviously going to be able to do it there, but it's like right. if, you, if you're going to have a policy that allows – Spouses or significant others or whoever to come on the campus and walk around. Right. I, I don't know. I, th- thanks, I mean, I, I think you're right. I mean, I, I do think that is one of the issues. And I guess I don't know how common it is. I'm, it's been a long time since I've been in school. But I don't – and it was a different time back then. But, I, I mean, I don't remember – spouses of my teachers just like wandering around the halls and coming into the classrooms but it, it was a it was a different time back then i admit that brian and appleton brian you're at 620 wtmj good morning hi i teach for 25 years and yeah just like the previous caller said usually just drop something off to the office and let the teacher know and not so much for security just that um having a, someone come to your doorway teaching is disruption to teaching yeah <laughs> but, but also the background check thing i don't know should every spouse have a background check. Well, only if they're going to be only if they're going to be given access to the campus. I guess that would. I mean, I, I wouldn't. Only if the person wants to come onto the campus. I don't. Well, let me ask you the bigger. Do you do you think do you think like classroom volunteers or parents that go on field trips? Do you think they should have to have background checks? Yeah, and the school I was at, they did. Okay. Um, the last ten years since all everything changed, but yeah. um, if you're just going to go into a building to drop something off, I don't. You know. You need to have every spouse have a background check to go into a building. I don't know. Then there would be any school they would go to or 
Well, I mean, I guess, I guess the, well, I guess the question would be though. I mean, if I just, if I just showed up at a at a school and said, let let's say I'm, I, I'm not visiting a spouse. I'm just, I, I go over to Nicolay High School and I say I have something I want to drop off for Mister So and So or Miss Miss So and So. I would guess that they're not going to just let me walk to the classroom. They're going to say, okay, we'll either call him or her or we'll take it and give it to you. I, I guess I'm figuring the only reason he was able to get past the front office was because he was he was the spouse. I, I can't imagine an ordinary visitor would just be allowed to, hey, go down to you know Ms. Kaufman's office or her homeroom or whatever. Yeah, well, parents drop stuff off all the time. But, but, should every parent have a background check then just to get on campus to go to the office to drop something? Well, off? not to go into the office, but the parents who drop stuff off, I assume they don't let them go down to the classroom. They, they come in and say, hey, my, my kid forgot his lunch. They drop, don't they, wouldn't the typical thing be that they drop it off at the office? They don't actually get to walk into the classrooms, do they? Uh, most of the time they drop it off, but some, sometimes there's exceptions. I'll say it's the kid's birthday and, and they're, they're bringing treats to the room. Okay. Um, yeah, I guess you. I'm, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I guess you kind of have to think it through. But I, I, I was, I was, I don't understand why you let people go to the rooms. I, I guess that that's that's number one. And I think to the extent that you have a policy, whether it's a spouse or not, I don't understand why you let them go to the room. To me, it's you. You call down and you say, "Okay, here." I mean, look, look. Okay, here. If you know, if, if a relative shows up, for example, here at WTMJ and says, I want to I want to see Jeff or whatever, well, they're not just going to give them a pass and let them walk back. They have to be escorted. I have to go up and I have to get them. And I'm supposed to, again, I just can't let people, I'm not supposed to just let people, visitors, wander around the, the building, spouse or not. You have to go get them. You have to be with them. And if that's the policy, I mean, I understand that's a policy that, that makes sense. I would think it would make sense um, otherwise. I mean, I think the again, Dennis and Elkhorn says this was preventable. The office should have called the teacher first to let her know the husband was there to drop off something. That's something that should have been left at the office. Yeah, that's that's the thing. If you're going to if you're going to let this happen, I think you need to do some background. Dave uh, West Bend writes, anytime there is access to the kids, um, yes. 954, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 957, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The Brewers head north of the border to begin their first road trip of the season. They visit the Toronto Blue Jays at Rogers Center. Our pregame coverage begins at 550 tonight here on WTMJ. All right, story in the news, classic Milwaukee. Classic city of Milwaukee. Um, This is the Historic Preservation Commission. Remember when you had the riots in Sherman Park last year, and it all centered around this BP gas station, and there'd been nothing but problems there over time, and ultimately, you know, it ended up being burned down. Okay, so now it's this vacant lot, not servicing the area at all. The owner wants to rebuild. I got to admit, I'm kind of surprised he wanted to rebuild. I think there'd be incredible temptation to just take the insurance money and get the heck out. But he wants to rebuild. But he's got a limited amount of money to rebuild. So he wants to rebuild on the site, but essentially he wants to rebuild the building the way it looked before. All right, that that's that's the deal. But there's a limited amount of money. So the historic Preservation Commission for the city of Milwaukee, which is the ultimate gang that couldn't shoot straight, they denied the guy's building plans. They said, nope, because even though there's been a gas station on this corner in Sherman Park for nearly 60 years, um, we're not going to approve this because we don't like the design. 
We think there needs to be higher quality architecture. We think that um, one guy says, I go to the suburbs and I see beautiful gas stations, very expensive, very lavish. And I see here, this is basically a blockhouse. It's disrespectful to me. Okay, well, all right, this is, it was burned down by rioters. It is in the Sherman Park neighborhood. No, you're not going to be able to build a palatial gas station because you don't have the dough to build the palatial gas station. So the Historic Preservation Commission says, nope. Unless you modify the plans, upgrade the building design, spend a bunch more money, you know, we're not going to allow you to rebuild. All right, so what is the practical alternative from what the commission did? It is either you let the guy rebuild with the resources he has. So you have a gas station back in the spot where the original one was burned down by rioters in the community, and then it's there to continue to service the community. Or you say, no, we want you to spend a lot more money with a lot fancier design. We want it to be like the one in the suburbs, even though it's not going to generate revenue like ones in the suburbs do. The owner says, I I don't have the money to do that, and it ends up being a vacant lot. That's that's the Milwaukee Historic Preservation Commission. If they get their way, that gas station, they want it to be rebuilt with a lot more money. There's not enough money there to do it, so it's going to end up being a vacant lot. You can't make this stuff up. It is 9.59, coming up in less than 10 minutes. One state outlaws school lunch shaming. We will discuss. Stick around. I'm Jeff Wagner. It's 10.09. So, Jane, you just alerted me to this. This is pretty funny. It's so, uh, it's so bad. Hashtag new United Airlines mottos. There are thousands of them. USA Today has a big story about this. Uh, <laughs> um, there's, there's one I'm looking at, a picture of Southwest. It's Southwest. We beat the competition, not you. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> there, volunteer or we'll make you. There's one There's one here. with you. Are you, are you a Walking Dead fan? Uh, no, I'm not, but I know who that is. Right, the, the the Negan character, the Jeffrey Dean Lewis character, the guy with like the the baseball bat yep. with with the chain around it. You know, he's walking down. Meet the new head of customer service for United. Walking down the ooh. So um, My favorite one is we put the hospital back in hospitality. <laughs> yeah, that was from a guy named Ethan. Yeah, we overbooked. You pay the price. Um, <laughs> Jim writes, we can reaccommodate you the easy way or the hard way. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, red eye at night, black eye during the day. <laughs> I, I just, it, it just, it is, and of course the United Airlines CEO, who as you point out off the air, makes millions of dollars. I can't believe you can be so tone deaf to to what's the re- the reaction that's going on here. And, and just the whole reaccommodate. Right, yeah. The, the, the coining of that word, I, I still am baffled by. It just, it, it's just... Just from a, a public relations standpoint, now I have issues with the law allowing them to just throw you off a plane where you've already prayed for your seat. I mean, to me, you know, you, you sh- I understand it's the technical, the small print of the contract. But, I mean, if I buy that seat and I don't show up, they have every right to keep my money. But to sell my seat when I'm there, that I, I, have, an, I have an issue with contractually. But the, the bigger point is, just from a PR standpoint, I mean – United Airlines, my understanding is they were offering like 800 bucks in, in travel vouchers, you know, um, and, you know, for, for somebody that you didn't have to stay overnight the, the next night. Um, I, I mean, if, if they would have gone in and said $1,500 in cash, some, four Absol- people would have taken $1,500 in cash, Absolutely. we'll put you on the flight the next day. So 
All right. It may be even less, but let's say $1,500. I have no, if, I mean, you know, most people, you offer them $1,500 in cash, sure, they'll, they'll take it. So four things, 6000 bucks For 6000 bucks and in a couple overnight hotel stays, you avoid this entire nightmare. <laughs> Which is going to be very expensive for United. Oh, the stock price. I mean, uh, stock price was down. Yeah. yeah, yes. And and I do think it's, I heard you talking this morning on the news, and you're right, in some respects, because airline competition is down so much, there's not a lot. Sometimes you don't have a lot of choices. If you want to fly somewhere, you know, and... And, and that's and, the and, only way to get there. Right. You you're you're going to fly there. But in places where you have choices, this is going to this is going to reverberate, you know, and, and maybe the other airlines do it. But, you know, you know, whether it's American or Southwest or whatever, people are like those people are thanking God that this didn't happen to them. It's just, oh, yeah. it's just glad, glad this didn't happen. I would have offered them. I mean, that but that's it. OK, nobody wants eight hundred dollars in travel vouchers, wherever fifteen hundred dollars in cash here, six grand. We'll take a little bit of a hit on this flight. But. Again, the story goes away. Absolutely. I read a really interesting article, though, too, about how in things are so different now than they were eight years ago. A lot more people are back at work. Salaries are going up. $800 is kind of meh. Right. Well, right. You know? and, and again, I'm not even sure it was eight hundred dollars. It might it was have been a voucher. Eight, it was a, it was a travel voucher. Right. So you get to okay, you're reaccommodated. You get to fly United Airlines sometime with a travel voucher. Okay, you know, here, here, you had a lousy meal. Sorry, here we'll, we'll comp you. Come back, have another one. <laughs> you know, it's like, right, you know, right. Um, yeah, yeah. Cash would have done it. Yeah, but I, that's so funny. So it's like hashtag New United Airlines mottos. Uh, <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's just, it's, it's not. We can reaccommodate you the easy way or the hard way. You know, it's, ouch, ouch. Hey, big news from downtown, and I, I don't know that this is going to get all the attention that it deserves, but the, the, the Journal Sentinel building. You know, we used to share a corporate identity with the newspaper. We, we know some people still don't realize that, but you know, the, a few years back. Um, you know, Journal Broadcast Group separated. We're now a part of Scripps Communication. I love being a part of Scripps Communication, by the way. And you know, the the journal, the Journal Sentinel, the paper was bought by by Gannett. You know, the people that do USA Today and a number of other papers. But there, there's that big Journal Sentinel building, which is downtown, right across the street from the arena. What's that? Like Fourth Street and all. Um, and it's it's really, if you want to understand what goes on in newspapers. You go down to that building, and I mean, I remember going down to that building 15 years ago, and it used to be the building was full, and you had the printing presses, and it was just thriving, and there were people, and over the last several years, it has become just a complete and total ghost town in, in that building. But it's a very um, it's a very expensive piece of downtown real estate, you would think. As a matter of fact, that was one of the pieces when they were looking at part of you know where to build the Bradley Center, one of the things that was at least being considered is if you could buy that, that Journal Sentinel building, you could could do that well in any event it is the end of the era era because the reports are today that 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 long time downtown headquarters that that building that's been the journal sentinel for years um gone it's going to be gone they've apparently reached a preliminary deal to sell it to a michigan developer that plans to renovate it into offices for the newspaper and other businesses um but when, when they say the the newspaper, it's apparently what they're going to do is they're going to put the, what's left of the newspaper on on two floors. That's the that's the idea that um, they're going to um, lease it for a couple floors, and then you know kind of kind of move on. Um, I, I I mean I get it, but it really kind of is the, the end of an era. And I think this is we talk a lot about Milwaukee institutions that you, you always thought were going to be there, 
and how they, if not disappear, how they change dramatically. And I, I think you know, there was a time that, remember, because the journals, the old Milwaukee Sentinel used to be there, the morning paper and the journal, and then you had the merger. I mean, I, I think you talked to particularly like a lot of the old-time employees, and if you would have ever told them that that building was essentially going to, if not go away, um, stop being an exclusive building used for the newspaper, a lot of people would have said you're, you're kind of nuts. But uh, that's... That is not the way it's emerged. So they're going to be revitalizing that. They're going to develop an 18-story office tower and um, hope to get businesses in there. One of the businesses, of course, will be the Journal Sentinel. They're going to at least just two floors. So they'll be down to two floors, the fourth and fifth floor. The times, they are a-changing. Coming up next, school lunch shaming. Should there be a law? It's an interesting story. Stick around. 1016, Jeff Wagner. It is 1018, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. All right. For many of you, if you've got a school-aged child, what you do is you pack the child's lunch and you send the lunch to school with with your kid. Um, In other cases, you maybe provide that you let the child get the hot lunch, whatever they're offering, you know, at the under Michelle Obama's you know school lunch program. You know, your your kid goes and buys lunch. Now there are various programs. If you are low income, if you are low income, um, you can qualify for free lunches. If you are of low income but not the lowest income, you can qualify for assistance in in paying for your lunch. But otherwise, if you don't meet income standards and you don't want to send a lunch to your child to school with a lunch, you're expected to pay for it. Because if you don't pay for it, everybody else has to pay for it. So just so we understand each other at the start of this story, we are not talking about pork children. We are not talking about kids who don't qualify for the, the taxpayer paid for, you know, breakfasts or lunch. We are talking about parents who make enough money that they should either be able to send their kids to school with a lunch or pay for their kids' lunch. So that's important to understand at the beginning. So what happens to parents who decide or, or just don't pay attention to this? They just figure, all right, I, I've I'm not going to put money in my kid's school lunch account. Um, I'm just not going to do this. Uh, what what happens? And is there an obligation if mom and dad are too lazy to send their children to, uh, to school with a lunch that they prepared and are too lazy to put money in the kid's account? Whose responsibility does that become? Now, I bring this up because New Mexico, earlier this, uh, late last week, became the first state to pass a bill called the Hunger-Free Students' Bill of Rights Act. Hunger-Free Students' Bill of Rights Act. This requires that all students, regardless of income, have access to the same lunch and um, ends practices like trashing lunches that have been served to students who can't pay or making students do chores to work off the debt. So what this law says is even if your parents have the ability to pay, and simply are too lazy or don't put money into your uh, the kid's account, the school nevertheless has an obligation to continue to give the child a lunch. And that then becomes the school's responsibility to try to figure out how to collect the money from the parents. All right, 
799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, the guy who you know, pushed this says he grew up in foster homes, and he says, you know, a 6-year-old, maybe up to 11 or 12-year-old, a 14-year-old, they have no power to fix the issue or to resolve this. If their parents have a debt in the lunchroom, it's not something that they have any control over, and I don't know why we're punishing the children. This prohibits it. It outlaws that. It focuses more on the child's well-being rather than the debt itself. All right, so here is my question. For parents who have the ability to pay for their kids' lunches and refuse to pay or forget about it or put it at a low priority, should the school be able to withhold the hot lunch for the kid? And in many cases, what the schools do is they give them a cheese sandwich or something like that. But at some point in time, is it the parent's responsibility or is it the school's responsibility? And how do you force the parents to pay if, you're going to be giving the kid a free lunch regardless. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. At the risk of, again, being labeled this kind of heartless conservative, which I'm a conservative, but I'm not heartless. I, I think I think laws like this are bad. I think at some point in time, schools should have the right to cut off kids whose parents have the ability to pay but who choose for whatever reason not to. And I think they have the right to say, hey, you know, we're, we are not in the business of providing free lunches to people whose parents can, in fact, afford it. And as a matter of fact, I think probably the only way that you can gain leverage to get the parents to put some parents to put money in the kids' school lunch accounts is by saying, hey, we're cutting the kids off. They're, they're $15 in debt. You know, they owe a week of school lunches or whatever. No more until you pay mom and dad. Is that unreasonable? We discuss. 1023 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, 414-799-1620 is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're on the line, please hold on. Ten twenty six, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. Tyler and Glendale. Tyler, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. How are you doing? I'm good. What do you think? So, um, I don't think that you should deny the kid the lunch because when you're in school, and I, I, I'm sure that you know that when you're hungry and you're in school, it really uh, doesn't facilitate the learning much. And I think that you're putting a lot of the burden on the kid for the misconduct of the parent. What I think you should do, and, and I agree with you, there should be a hard cutoff somewhere. All right, there has to be. Someone has to be held liable for it. What I think you should do is that you should uh, prevent enrollment. Get back to the parent and say, we're not going to let your kid uh, come back to school the next semester or the next year if you don't settle up with this like the, uh, with this uh, debt like a lot of colleges do, you know, if you have holes. Yeah, but, but, but as a practical matter, I mean, how you do that, because the law says, you know, you're entitled to a public education, um, so they don't go to that school, then they just go to some other school. I guess I, I mean, I, I get, here, here's my issue, Tyler. Let, let me change the facts. So what if... What if it was a field trip? What if it was one of these deals where you're taking a field trip, but there's a $25 charge to go on this field trip, and mom and dad don't pay? Do you think the kid should? Do you think the kid should be able to go on the field trip in that circumstance? No, I've been in that situation before. They usually have uh, teachers that'll that'll look over you. If you right. Don't. Right. Um, but I mean, as far as the field trip, I mean. It's, it's, I, I know that you know it's, it's very hard to sit and focus in class and actually facilitate learning when you when you are thinking about hunger okay. all day. Well, okay, but, let, but let, let's work on that as well. Okay, you're. I don't know about you. I go I go without lunch all the time. 
I know. I, I just I, I go without lunch all the time. And even when I was a kid, I you know I, I mean I can remember going to school and there was a lot of times I, I just didn't eat the school lunch. I mean, is is it really? Do you think it's really such a problem that like on a couple days maybe a kid doesn't get whatever they're serving at the the hot the hot lunch that they're really not going to be able to learn? And again, we're not we're not talking about the low income kids. We're not talking about kids who can't afford it. We're just talking about kids who mom and dad for whatever reason neglected to put the money in the account and continue to neglect to do that. Uh, you're asking if it's if, if maybe okay for them to go without lunch for a few days. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I'm not a I'm not no. a nutritionist or or a, or a, or a right. doctor that takes care of kids and their development, but I I do know from experience that it was pretty tough. I think when you deny the lunch like that, I think you. I think you put a lot of the undue burden on the kids. Okay, all right, I appreciate that. I mean, I guess I just I, I just I remember. Okay, ever, ever since we had the new school lunch guidelines that went into effect, remember? I mean, how, how many stories have we had about the kids? Who just don't like the lunches or whatever, and it essentially goes from the plate into the trash can. I mean, that, that's that's essentially it. And all right, does that mean that that none of those kids are are learning? I guess here, here's what I keep thinking of: you, if you if you just give the kids, continue to give the kids the lunches, you lose any leverage that you have. Look, here, here's what's going to happen with most parents, and I'm sure this happens. I mean, I understand how parents can forget to, you know, oh gosh, my my kid's account is down to zero. And I, I would hope that in most schools there's a little bit of leeway. But at some point in time, after you notify the parents, hey, your kid's account's at zero. Matter of fact, he's running a deficit balance. You know, he owes about $10. If you don't say, hey, you've got to put money in here. And again, we're talking about parents that can afford it. How 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 are you ever going to be able to force that to happen? And do you want to turn the schools into collection agencies. All right, this is a very interesting discussion. We've got a lot of interesting calls on the line. We continue the conversation next. So if you're on the line, please hold on. 1034, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Poor Colleen Boland. Should have gotten out of the, the studio but before this. All right, we're, if you're just joining us, we're, we're talking about this new law. New Mexico last week became the first state in the country to pass what they call the outlaw school lunch shaming. Now, we're not talking about kids who qualify for the free lunches or for the, the reduced price lunches. We are talking about parents who have the money to pay but choose for whatever reason not to. They get busy or whatever. This law says you can't stop giving the kids the lunches, just because mom and dad, for whatever reason, aren't putting money into the kids' account. Now, Colleen <clears throat> Boland, you have two wonderful kids. I've, I've met them. I, I, I love I love your kids. Thank okay? you. Um, and you are a great mom. So I throw that out there. But you acknowledge that you, you're one of these people who, from time to time, doesn't put the money in a prompt fashion in the oh, kids' yes. lunch accounts, right? There's some delinquencies there, <laughs> yes. And, and it's it's not because you're a bad parent. It is because why? It's because of time. I'm not... Uh, sometimes there is not the ability to refill the accounts automatically. You have to bring a check in. I do use checks still, like a lot of people. And again, it's a matter of time and just forgetting about right. it. And all of a sudden, it gets away from you. And, oh, I have to pay this bill. Right. So, But you know you have... I guess my, you know you have to pay the bill... And if you if you got a notice from the school saying, you know, Ms. Boland, your your twenty your, your kid's twenty five dollars in arrears or, or whatever, and unless you pay the arrears, 
you know, we're we're going to he's not going to be able or she's not going to be able to continue to get hot lunches. That would that would be a trigger, a motivating thing to make sure that hey, you're down there the next day putting the money in the account, right? Absolutely. Yeah, and it's so, a bill. You know, you have to pay it. Right. I guess that that that's my only point about this. It's that I mean, and and, and I understand that people get busy and things like that, but it's just like. I mean, I, I also understand how it is with bills. You know, some people, okay, I'll, I'll let the cell phone bill go, and I understand it's different school lunches, or I'll let the cable bill go, or I'll let the, the satellite bill go. Then you get that notice saying, hey, it's going to be disconnected. Then then it becomes a priority. So, okay, I didn't. I, I appreciate you volunteering. <laughs> You're just cringing about that. No, but I mean, I get that, that's my only point, and I'm not arguing the kids need to be cut off. I'm just saying if by law you refuse to, you say to kids, you say to the parents, we are going to continue to, I'll allow you to, you know, get the food. Don't worry, and then we'll figure out how to collect this somewhere down the line. That puts a burden on the rest of the taxpayers, um, you know, because then the schools become collection agencies. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk to Sue and Franklin. Sue, good morning. Ah, uh, good morning, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What What do you think about all this? Well, my comments to your screener was that um, if you have delinquent parents, which I myself fall behind, my kids are not in public school, but we get a notice and says, you know, you're $25 in the hole. It does make it a priority. But for delinquent parents in the public system, I think in order for their children to be signed for hot lunch, maybe they should be obligated or um, have to to link a credit card or a bank account so it can automatically withdraw if they're not keeping up on their bills. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you think it's legitimate for at some point in time the school to say, hey, we, we've got to get this money in instead of just letting the kids continue to get the lunches day after day, week after week, week after month after month without mom and dad paying? Absolutely. I don't understand why that would be. It, we're not talking, like you said, about underprivileged right. Um, you right. know, socioeconomically deprived children here. I mean, a lot of these public schools have flat screen TVs in their lunchrooms. I think it wouldn't be out of the ordinary to ask them, these parents, to link an account or link a credit card for automatic withdrawal. And, yeah. you know, yeah, make, um, make it would, easier. Right. I get it would, make it. it would make it easier. I think a lot of the parents just fall behind. They forget about it. It's not a priority. And if we make it possible for them to just not have to pay, they're not going to. Well, well, right, and then and then what happens is at the end of the year, you know, you you have parents who are a few hundred dollars in arrears or or whatever, and and then the school's like, okay, what, what do we do? Do we do we not let the kid graduate? Do we not give them a diploma? Well, I mean, I would argue that that might be worse. I mean, you know, how do you? Unless we're going to say that as a society, we now have an obligation to provide free lunches for for every child in school, regardless of mom or dad's ability to pay. And I I don't necessarily think we're at that point. I I just think letting the debt run up and run up and run up doesn't make any sense to me because then you have real problems trying to collect it on the other end. My guess is most of these parents make it just something that's a simple make it a simplifying act for them. Yeah. When you go in and you, you know, do your school sign-ups for sports and whatnot, they'd probably be happy to link it and then forget about it for the, those, that, that. Yeah. Um, no, I, right, I, exactly. I mean, right, right. Yeah, yeah, charge it, yeah. Rather, I mean, rather have it automatically withdrawn than have to send a check-in. Yeah, no, thanks for the call. Carolyn Menominee Falls writes on our text line, I've had two children in Greenfield schools, and um, they would, let's see, um, if... If they were in arrears, 
Um, you know, they got a lunch for one or two days, and then after that, they wouldn't be served. Believe me, my kids were so horrified and embarrassed that, that this happened. I put money in their accounts immediately. Um, those of us fortunate enough to be able to afford to buy lunch should. Free lunch should be used for those families who really need it. And I guess that that's kind of my point. And, uh, again, maybe it's, okay, if you fall in behind, well, okay, and you don't want to continue to buy the, the school lunch, okay, well, then, you know, take a couple minutes in the morning and maybe, you know, maybe pack – Pack the lunches for the kids. Let us talk to, um, let's see, um, we've got Dwayne and Trevor. Dwayne, you're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. What do you think? Um, on, I, the other uh, caller stole my thunder, but auto, auto, automatic account withdrawal is the way to go. Um, okay. Just like, I mean, for anybody who's got an iPass, you know, you're kind of used to those kinds of things. Right. comes down to a certain amount, and they take a certain amount back out, and it's an evergreen product. Right, so what um, you would say it, is, is when you sign your kid up for student lunch, essentially you'd have to link it to a credit card or something, and then just yeah. an automatic withdrawal once the you know once the the, the account gets low. Yep, problem solved. Yeah. Um. And and part two is that if that's not possible, which I I'm I'm pretty sure in today's day and age, this is very possible for the schools. But part two is that. You know, when I was in school, I had shop class. At the end of the year, I had to pay for my wood, my metal, my inks, and whatever else. And there was a bill at the end of the year for your shop supplies that you used for school. Right. That bill was 130 or $62 or whatever it was. I couldn't register for school next year until that bill was paid. Okay. Like you said, it's, this isn't rocket science. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, I see. And thanks, yeah. you, I can see. And I'm trying to figure out. I, I just don't think you can let debts roll up, run up, and run up. And and see, and I believe for most parents, it's exactly like a. I'm glad Colleen agreed. It, it's not. It's just that you forget. You get busy. You know. You kind of put that aside. But this is getting that notification. My guess is. In school districts that have a policy that, you know, they're going to cut you off after five free lunches or whatever, the vast majority of parents, once they get that notice saying, hey, it's, it's been a week, you know, you, it's not been five lunches, we need that money right away. My guess is the vast majority of parents, 75, 80, 90 percent of the parents, probably then, hey, it's a wake-up call that they pay. That That is, to me... To me, just allowing it to go on and on and on makes the problem worse. Provide some urgency, and people will pay. 1042, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It is 1046, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. You listen to the Merry Football Sunday and next Wednesday night. That would be a week from tomorrow, April 19th. You get a rare chance to see them live in person. Packers Radio Network, the team of Wayne Larravee and Larry the Rock McCarran. They're going to sit down with me during Insight 2017. Do not miss this rare opportunity for some green and gold insight in person. It's a week before the NFL draft. They'll tell you the secrets. Tickets are on sale now online at WTMJ.com. It's Insight 2017 at the Country Springs Hotel in Pewaukee. Again, a week from tomorrow night, Wednesday, April 19th. To make it easier for you to get there, and it's very easy. Just go to WTMJ.com. Tickets very reasonably priced. They're going quick. Get them before they're all gone. But right now, I have a four-pack of tickets, a four-pack of tickets to Insight 2017 at the Country Springs Hotel in Pewaukee a week from tomorrow. Four-pack of tickets to Insight 
to see the entire lineup. Governor Scott Walker, um, Supreme Court Justices, Babbage and Smiley from Summerfest, the Attorney General of the state. The list goes on and on and on. Let's give them the caller number 13 at 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Caller 13 wins a four-pack of tickets to join me and an all-star cast at Insight 2017 at the Country Springs Hotel in Pewaukee a week from tomorrow night. Very much looking forward to that. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Caller 13 wins the tickets. All right. Does Donald Trump have a, a golf problem? Um, Donald Trump, of course, likes to play golf. And there's no problem with that. I like to play golf as well. Um, And Donald Trump also has something that most of us don't have, and that is he owns golf courses. And if I owned a bunch of high-end golf courses, I think you would find, you know, my chunky butt on those golf courses an an awful lot. Um, Donald Trump, since he became president, has made 16 visits to his own golf courses since being sworn in he hasn't played golf on every one of those visits um they don't exactly know what he's doing necessarily due to the fact that the white house releases very few details of his trips so just because he's going to the golf resort that he owns in florida where he has you know a place and just because he's staying there doesn't mean that he's automatically playing golf the um estimates are they estimate that um, since he became president, they say that um, he they think that he has played golf at least 13 times. Okay, that's what CBS's news is saying, at least 13 times, and that's in like two and a half months. Now, by way of contrast, Barack Obama played golf just once during his first 100 days, but he went on to play a total of 333 rounds over two terms as president. So Obama wasn't playing golf in the beginning, but you know he ended up playing a lot of golf as time went on. Now, the long knives are out. Um, lots of stories that are now emerging saying that Donald Trump has a golf problem, and the fact that he's played 13 times over the course of the last, I don't know, two months, that apparently means that he's spending too much time on the golf course and not enough time attending to the business of the nation. Greg from Milwaukee is the winner of our tickets um, to Insight 2017, a week from tomorrow night at the Country Springs Hotel. Um, Keep listening. We'll have more opportunities for you to win four packs of tickets coming up as the week goes on, but also... Hey, make it easy on yourself. Go to WTMJ.com. Buy your tickets now. We hope to see you there. So anyhow, um, Trump, he, he's, he's played at least 13 rounds of golf. It takes you a little bit of time to play golf. He was critical of Obama for playing too much golf. Is Trump a hypocrite? Is there a golf problem? Or is this really just kind of much ado about nothing? Or is there really a golf problem? Or is this just, again, it's another thing, another way for the people who don't like Donald Trump to criticize Donald Trump. I will tell you where I come down on this, and we will discuss coming up next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620. Do you wish Donald Trump, I think all of us, wish he would stop tweeting? Should we also wish that he stops 
playing golf. Is this a big deal? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please call on 1051. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1054, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The Brewers head north of the border to begin their first road trip of the season. They visit the Toronto Blue Jays at Rogers Center. Our pregame coverage starts at 550 this evening here on WTMJ. Now, the problem Donald Trump has is that there are some people suffering from Trump derangement syndrome who just will find fault at everything he does. He could give everybody in America a $100 bill, and there's some people who would complain that it wasn't 520s or 1010s. i got to cash the $100 bill. All right, he... He has apparently um, spent, of, of the 16 weeks that he's been president, he's apparently spent eight of those weekends at various golf resorts, most of which are ones that he owns. He's played 13 rounds of golf, they estimate, during that time. In his first 100 days, Barack Obama had only played one. So now Trump is being criticized. Now, what makes it difficult is that when he was running for president, he was criticizing Barack Obama for playing golf. So... Is this is this a legitimate criticism of him, Cheryl and Racine? Cheryl, you're first. Good morning. Hi. Good morning. Hi, Cheryl. So I think that if he wants to play golf, let him play golf. Um, I didn't know that he criticized Obama. Yeah, like I'm, I'm looking, for example, at, at one of the tweets that he sent out um, in 2013. Uh, President Obama is not busy talking to Congress about Syria. He's playing golf again. Go figure. Yeah, that's so. And and there's a whole history. There's a whole line of those where he was criticizing Obama for being on the golf course. Oh well, I still I think he should be able to do whatever he wants, whether it be golfing or fishing or anything, right. as long as it's not affecting his work and his job. And he's available in case, yeah. you know. Well, I mean, and I think presidents have the right. I don't care. I mean, I think people have the right to downtime. I mean, I think I think you have the right, especially if you're in a high-stress job. Well, any job. I think you have a right to do stuff that you like to do. I, I like to play golf, for goodness sakes. I wish wish I wish I owned golf courses so I could play on the really good ones. So <laughs> Yeah. Okay, so you think they should just get off his back? I think so. And if he did make a comment about Obama... You know, maybe he was in a bad mood that day. You know, you <laughs> never know what what's happening with people. But right. we all can make criticism, okay. you know, Good to enough. anybody. But yeah, I think he should be able to. Thanks for the call. I appreciate. It. See, I I never criticized uh, President Bush. He played golf a lot. He played like speed golf, though. It was, it was like he, he'd, he'd play rounds of golf that would normally take three and a half or four hours. They used to rush around the golf course. I didn't think that that would necessarily be fun, but he played speed golf. Uh, Barack Obama played golf a, a lot, but I, I do think they, they are, you know, you're in touch. I mean, there's, it's just because you're out engaging in some recreation. I, I don't think playing golf is any different than, you know, going on a hike or something like that, if, if that's your recreation. And if something happens, plus, I mean, golf is a way that you do, you, you can bond. You go out. I know Trump played uh, golf with, I think, the Japanese prime minister. So you're there, you know, you're, you're out together, and I'm sure that you discuss things other than, you know, what club do I hit here? Jerry in West Dallas. Jerry, you're on 620 WTMJ. Jerry. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Jerry. Hey, how you doing? Good. What do you think? Is it fair to criticize him? Trump no, it's for golf? not. And I'm going to tell you why. He's in a high-stress job, and that's his way of relaxing. Yep. And, and that's all I can say. I can't say much more. Well, is it? let me ask you this, though. If he criticized President Obama for playing too much golf, does it make him a hypocrite if now he's playing golf? No, it doesn't make him a hypocrite. What it makes him is he probably shouldn't have said what he said. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You 
know what I'm saying? Oh, I know. I and I think they, no, no. I I know I know exactly what you're saying. No, I and that, that's look. That's kind of how I look at it. I, I think. I think this is one of these things that you don't you don't know how you're going to respond and how you're going to act until you're in a particular situation. I think the guy is entitled to recreation. I think if he wants to play golf, that that's absolutely fine. I'd rather have him on a golf course playing golf than, you know, tweeting stuff at 5:30 in in the morning. So I I don't criticize him for that. This idea that he's a hypocrite, well, I don't I don't buy that either, at least not on this issue. It's once you get in there, you say, "Okay, well, you know, maybe this is how I'm going to handle." It. Plus, um, it's true that business does get conducted on a golf course. Bob and McGuanago. Bob, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to point that point that out that a lot of business is conducted on a golf course. He's a businessman, and I know with the Japanese prime minister, they were golfing, and he was conducting business while golfing. Right. I think you can't compare uh, Trump with Obama because Obama was totally incompetent, and I don't remember anybody ever talking about him conducting any business on the golf course. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot, right, it, part of the thing, a lot of, not, I'm not saying all the times, but a lot of times when President Obama was playing golf, it was pure recreation. I mean, he was playing with his buddies and his cronies, and I'm not criticizing that. He, he was out with his friends, you know, playing golf as part of recreation. It would be interesting to see, is Trump doing this for recreation, or is he doing it kind of as a, as a way of developing business? Now, thanks to call. Now, part of it was we don't know all the answers to that because when he they're, they're very secretive about the schedule so you, you know that he's down there at the golf course but that doesn't necessarily mean he's playing because because he lives there in any in event this is one where uh, of all the different issues that i think people can have with president trump whether he's out on a golf course on a saturday afternoon that's not one of the concerns it's ten fifty nine. this is jeff wagner it's eleven oh nine. jeff wagner 620 wtmj so glad to have you with us i have two words tread carefully Last week, in response to the dictator of Syria, the leader of the regime, President Assad, who directed a chemical weapons attack using outlawed chemical weapons that he wasn't supposed to have in the first place, launched this attack. Everybody's seen the the video of this. Ended up killing 80, 90, 100 civilians in a rebel town in the northern part of Syria. I understand there's some crazy people who think that that didn't happen, but it it, it happened. We, We live in the real world. President Trump ordered what I thought was a measured strike. It was targeted. It was done. It had been planned out by the the military for quite a while. It was a targeted attack on a particular Syrian military base from which the planes came from. It was aimed at destroying munitions and gasoline and the control towers and things like that. The U.S. gave warning to the Russians. The, The Russians have... They have a bunch of ground troops um, in Syria. Um, They have a few thousand Russian military personnel distributed at at bases across Syria. U.S. gave notice to Russia. This attack is going to is coming. Give a couple hours notice. So they were able to. You know, get Russians out of the area. Russians were given a chance to evacuate, and while there were a handful of casualties, there were just a handful of casualties because presumably Russia told Syria Syrian officials at the base, "Hey, the strike is coming." So while there was some loss of life, it was relatively minimal. 
All right, so that's that's where it stands now. President Trump and the United States saying, hey, we are going to be, to an extent, the world's policeman. We're not going to let you, Assad, use genocide against your people. And, you know, we're there's a treaties that say that you can't use this type of stuff. So, fine, if you do this, we're going to, you know, we're going to um, intervene. All right, like I say, Russia has a few thousand troops scattered around Syria. Actually, Russian involvement is very in, unpopular in Russia. You know, Putin's up for election next year, but uh, you know how Russian elections work. But, you know, it is very unpopular. Russia is, the economy is crumbling, and there's a lot of Russian citizens who are wondering what the government is doing in Syria, you know, when you've got so many problems at home. But Russia, like I say, has a few thousand military personnel distributed across Syria's key military bases. They also have some of the world's most sophisticated air defense systems in Syria and Russian planes police Syrian skies. So that's the background. You've got this Russian involvement. What happened last week has created perhaps an issue between Russia and the United States, but I think that's an issue that if nothing else happens is going to largely, you know, go away. Here is the problem. There are a number of United States politicians ranging from Hillary Clinton, who has come out of the woods, and she's giving speeches saying, I think we need to be more aggressive. I think we need to bomb Syrian um, military bases. I think we need to take out planes. I think we need to eliminate Assad's ability to do you know, harm to, to civilians, whether it's chemical weapons or not. So she's advocating that. Then you have conservatives, uh, people like John McCain and Marco Rubio, who are urging Trump to follow up on these airstrikes, give Syrian opposition groups, give the rebels, give them more weapons, impose a no-fly zone, and do further airstrikes in order to pressure Russia and Assad to agree to a political settlement. Meanwhile, the Syrian Air Force is continuing to bomb some of these rebel towns. They're just not using chemical warfare. So you've got people like Hillary Clinton, and you've got some of the Republican hawks who are saying, hey, now is the time we need to increase our military involvement in Syria. All right, here's the problem, though, with that, that as you increase the military involvement in Syria, you run the risk of starting to kill Russians. that That's just the reality. There's Russian troops and Syrian air bases. You start bombing Syrian air bases, inevitably you will kill Russian troops on, on the ground. Um, if you impose a no-fly zone, that would likely require targeting um, Syrian and Russian air defenses and undoubtedly would lead to issues between Russians and U.S. jets. So if you start to, right now, use a military solution, I think it is inevitable that you are going to escalate tensions between the U.S. and Russia. But nevertheless, there's a a lot of people on both the left and the right who want regime change and believe that the military answer, the military solution is the way to go. 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. With all due respect to people I like, like Marco Rubio and John McCain, and even people I don't necessarily agree with very often, Hillary Clinton, I have to tell you, I think they're dead wrong. I think I think escalating military involvement at this point in Syria 
starting to bomb Syrian bases, starting to impose no-fly zones, which will inevitably bring you into contact with Russian warplanes, is a very, very dangerous game, and at this point in time is not the way to proceed. I think the way you bring about this regime change is you take Russia, which is already, again, an economic mess, and you start imposing economic pressure to do it, not military. But let's tee this up. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Would you like to see President Trump and the administration escalate military involvement in Syria? Right now, we're not talking about sending more U.S. troops there, but they are talking about an aggressive, more aggressive air campaign, more bombing, more missile strikes, etc., etc. Is that the way to go, or are there other ways to try to accomplish this that we should try to use first? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1116, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1118, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I have to tell you, I supported what President Trump did last week, a targeted missile strike in response to this chemical weapons attack that Assad launched in Syria. But now there's a lot of people on both the left and the right who are urging an escalation of this. Declare a no-fly zone. Throw in more bombs. Go after some of the other military bases or establishments, many of which have Russians that are stationed there, Russian troops. If you do that, you're going to start killing Russian troops. And how is Russia going to respond? If you implement a no-fly zone, for example, then there's going to be conflicts between U.S. and Russian airplanes. Is Syria worth, is it worth it to escalate the confrontation militarily there? I say, no way. What you want to use is economic pressure. Let's talk to Bob on the northwest side. Bob, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. The easiest way to do this is what Reagan did in the 80s and drive the price of oil into the ground. Right. Reagan drove it down to $10 a barrel. Now, you don't have to get that low, right. but if you drive the price of oil down using your own oil and oil of your allies in the Middle East, you will bring not only Moscow but Tehran to their knees. Right. And, and, and that, be able to control them. This is exactly what was done in the 80s, and it destroyed the Soviet right, Union. Right, because, because the Soviet Union, I mean, to the extent they have anything of value, it's just the oil exports. That's it. And you're That's exactly it. right. You... You know, the economy is in tatters right now anyways. Yep. You you know, you do that, you undercut the price of oil even more, and that's what gives you the leverage to do it. I mean, I guess I'm just, Bob, I mean, I'm concerned. I mean, how does Russia respond if you start bombing military bases and all of a sudden, how would we respond if somebody was bombing military bases and you had hundreds of American troops that were killed? That would almost force an escalation, and I, I'm yeah, just reluctant to see idea. that happen. Yeah, That's a bad idea economically with the oil will bring them to their knees and you will control them. I, I think thanks for I mean that's I, I think that's a very, very good strategy to employ. I actually think that there's probably a couple other ways that you could go about it too. But yeah, it, it's that that is the answer. It is and because the truth of the matter is, without Russia's backing, the Assad regime falls. And, you know, you want to give Putin the ability to to save face. A lot of the stuff I'm reading says that, you know, Putin would actually like to figure out a way to get out of Syria. Because, like I say, this is an extremely unpopular involvement there. But you, you don't want to – you don't, I think, want to overuse military stuff. This, what they did last week, targeted strikes to try to make a, a point. But 
I, I don't think we want to militarily get involved in, in Syria. Um, Sam writes, um, stay out of it. Um, stay out of the rat hole known as Syria. The country is broke. It's not worth one American life. Now, I understand why we'd want to promote regime change. It's because it's such a mess. Syria is one of these places where it's a breeding ground for terrorism and places of groups like, you know, ISIS operate with impunity. So what you want to do is you want to, if we're going to be trying to, to fight these groups, we want to be fighting them, you know, where they are. We want to be taking the war to the battle to them. And so that's why you have some Americans on the ground. But that's much different than getting into a conflict with Russia. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. Tom in Watertown. Tom, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. I, I don't think we should do any more bombing over there, but I would like to see them at least enforce the Article 7 of the Geneva Code, which would tell them that if they keep on using this kind of weapons right. against uh, their people, that they end up uh, be held accountable in front of the Hague. Yeah. Where is the U.N. on all this, Tom? That's the other frustrating thing to me about that. You're, you're right. I mean, you're violating all these international treaties. You are committing the, these war crimes. Where is the U.N.? Why is it that it's the United States that the whole responsibility for this falls upon? The U.N. should be speaking up louder than heck. Well, yeah. I mean, the U- see, what should be happening here is, is, especially in the face of, like, you're talking about the treaty violations, these atrocities, the genocide. You know, this should be, you should have a coalition together like Desert Storm instead of, you know, the U.N. sitting on its its thumbs, you know, watching the, this whole thing go on. If the U.N. is going to have any role in, in the world nowadays, you would think it would be trying to, okay, stop a brutal dictator from using chemical weapons to kill his own people. And that would also be President Putin and uh, the Iranian yeah. minister, because they're all involved in this. Yeah. It wouldn't just be uh, Assad. He's he's deeply into it, but yeah. these other two are into it, too, and they should also be held on that Article 7. Well, right, I mean, of course, right, Tom, and of course, I mean, the, the joke was, I was talking about this yesterday, if there's any lessons we've learned from the last couple of years, and it, it was... And, and Obama's legacy is tarnished about this. It was this idea of you can't, we now know for certain that you, and we probably learned this, you know, after Munich in World War II, but you can't make deals with dictators. You have, you know, Obama who says, okay, there's this line, don't, don't use gas. And then, of course, Assad crosses the line, and rather than respond with force, we cut some BS deal. John uh, Kerry goes and negotiates this deal with the Soviets where, okay, they're going to oversee the destruction of um, Assad's chemical weapons. Well, that didn't happen. It was just, it was, you know, what do they say in Mary Poppins? A pie crust promise, easily made, easily broken. And so now, four years later, the ball is, you know, kicked into our court here. Having said that, though, I continue to... I mean, unilateral military action, I I just would, I I think it's a a very, very bad idea. I'm not saying that at some point in time in the future, it might be necessary to do some other sort of surgical strike or whatever if Assad doesn't get the message. But just let's start bombing bases where we're going to kill a whole bunch of Russians, or let's put in a no-fly zone, which will bring us into conflict with Russian jets, which will inevitably have Russian jets shot down and U.S. jets shot down. I mean, if we're going to plunge into World War III, do, do you want to do it over Syria? Wes and Whitewater writes, I've always thought that the only way to end or prevent war is to take the money away. All conflict means that arms must be purchased. If you can take that away, you can curtail the conflict. Yeah, I mean, that's... Again, Russia is, Russia's economy is a mess. 
that's where the leverage really lies. And, and that's where that's where you start twisting arms. I understand who Putin is. You, you try to Trump's the big deal maker. Okay, give him some stuff to give Putin some stuff so he can save face. But I mean, I just don't believe, figuratively speaking, that that Syria is necessarily. I was talking about this two days ago or whatever. I just, I mean, Russia's self interest in Syria is really very limited. It's access to some warm weather ports or something like that. But beyond that, it's not this huge strategic thing. At some point in time, it's got to be a way to get Russia to back off. Once Russia backs off, I think that the Assad regime falls. Who knows what replaces it? That's, of course, another story. But at least at least you de-escalate stuff. So to me, it's economic pressure. And with all due respect to Marco Rubio and John McCain, I, I think this idea of talking about escalating right now, bad, 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 bad idea. 1126, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1128, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. How do you get the likes of Paul McCartney and the Rolling Stones to play your stage? What's the key to convincing some of the most famous musical acts in history to come to your city? We pull the curtain back on the secrets of Summerfest when Don Smiley and Bob Babish join me for Insight 2017 next Wednesday night. That is a week from tomorrow, April 19th. You won't want to miss this rare sit-down with two of the entertainment industry's heaviest hitters. Tickets are available now. Get them before they're all gone online at WTMJ.com, and then come on out to the Country Springs Hotel. We are going to have a blast, just an absolute blast um, next, next Wednesday, a week from tomorrow. Frank Jude. Back in the news, if you, this is one where you need a little bit of institutional memory. October of 2004, Frank Jude um, went to a, he was invited by a friend of a friend to go to this party that had a lot of off-duty Milwaukee police officers at the party. He's African-American. Most of the police officers were white. What ended up happening is they believed that Jude, who um, had, had sort of a colorful history, I'll use that phrase. They believed that he had stolen one of the officer's wallets containing their badge. Officers confronted him, and they beat him up. Um, and, and they beat him relatively badly. Um, there were allegations then of a police cover-up. A couple of police officers ended up going to jail. There was a state trial where everybody was a commit. A, a, where everybody was acquitted. Then later on, there was a federal civil rights trial where. All but one of the police officers, I recall, that were charged were convicted. I believe three of the officers involved are still in jail. Jude um, ended up suing the the city, settled the lawsuit in 2012 for $2 million. But he has been a troubled guy and, and somewhat of a, a bad actor. He, he's been in all sorts of, of trouble since then. And he is back in the news again. Like I said, repeated run-ins with the law since this. Most recently, he was charged with resisting an officer, according to online court records. But now he is back in the news. Milwaukee police were called about 10.30 p.m. Saturday to a convenience store gas station on Tatonia Avenue. Um, Jude, and if you've seen the video of this, throwing merchandise, damaging property inside, um, DA's office is going to look at it for charges of uh, criminal damage to property, etc. But you know, Frank Jude is one of these guys that, candidly, after all this happened, he would have just been so much better off 
getting a change of scenery, leaving Milwaukee, taking his $2 million and moving on instead of staying. And clearly he's had a lot of problems since then. Um, Some people would say maybe it was attributable to, you know, what he went through. I I don't think so. I just think it was the kind of guy that that he was. But he's back in the news looking at even more charges. Uh, The Frank Jude story apparently just does not die. It's 11.35, Jeff Wagner, 6.20 WTMJ. Have you ever been, Hondo, who's producing the show today, have you ever been in a restaurant? You're, you're there with your wife and with, with Hondo Jr., and the, the person maybe at the table next to you or at the booth behind you is, is carrying on a conversation on their cell phone, and you're trying not to listen to it, but you can't help yourself because you're in the restaurant, there's the noise of the restaurant, there's the ambient noise that's going on, and so they're not talking in a normal voice they're not using their inside voice. They're yelling because they can't hear and they have to speak loud. So even though you don't care about what the person's talking about, you can't help but hear it. And it goes on and on and on. And my experience has been that most of those conversations that you inadvertently overhear, um, they're not emergency situations. They are things that could be wait till, that could wait till the person finished the meal or whatever. It's not, oh my God, you know, so and so is in the hospital. It's, all right, well then, you know, you're not going to believe what so and so did last night at the bar, and then they peed in the pot or whatever. You know, that's that's. It's kind of like, all right, more information that you need. All right, and it just it kind of wrecks the experience. Well, imagine being stuck, you know, one of a couple hundred people on a giant. Well, a, a giant metal can that is flying through, you know, s- flying through the atmosphere at, you know, 30,000 feet and sitting next to the person. And think about an airplane. And, you know, you've got all the ambient noise of the plane. You've got the noise of the jets. You've got, you know, all the noise that's in the cabin. Your ears are popping. And, you know, you're crammed in because we know places overbook. So you're on that full flight. And the person sitting next to you in that middle seat they're on their cell phone, and they're having this conversation for three hours as you're flying from Milwaukee to Las Vegas or, or back. All right. Well, that, that doesn't happen right now because cell phone use on planes has not been allowed. Well, a couple of years back, the FAA said that small electronics like, like cell phones are, are safe to be used so it doesn't provide it doesn't provide a danger during all phases of the flight as long as the device is in airplane mode. Couple years back, a guy named Tom Wheeler, who was then the head of the Federal Communications Committee, um, he introduced a rule rolling back. What he wanted to do is do away with the regulation that banned the use of cell phones on planes. Now, again, the original concern was that cell phone signals could interfere with, um, you know, pilot radios. Uh, given the way flight communications are right now, there, there's really, that's not a concern as a practical matter. So, you know, the guy who runs the FCC argued, well, okay, since it's not a safety factor, all right, th- this means we can lift the ban and we can, uh, you know, we can let people use cell phones on, on planes. You still would have had to keep your phone turned off um, or on airplane mode during takeoff and landing, but you could have switched on your connections once you hit cruising altitude. Okay, on Monday, the FCC reversed itself 
and said that they do not believe that it is in the public interest to allow cell phone use, your personal cell phone use on, on airplanes. Now keep in mind, most of the airplanes now have Wi-Fi service that you can hang, that you can check into. So, you know, you, you, you can communicate. You can do work. You can get access to your emails and things like that. But, but you can't use your cell phones. The head of the, the new head of the FCC said that this, this issue is gone. We're taking the ability to use cell phones on airplanes off the table permanently. Um, and he says, we're doing this because we believe it's going to be a victory for Americans across the country who, like me, this is the head of the FCC, value a moment of quiet at 30,000 feet. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The FCC now says, never mind, we are going to continue the ban on cell phone use on airplanes. You have access to the airplane Wi-Fi, so you can get the, the Internet, but you're not going to be able to have those conversations on the planes. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Maybe you will disagree with me, but my response to this is, thank goodness I do not want to be sitting next to the guy that is yelling into the cell phone for a three-hour flight. And if you're so busy that you need to be on your cell phone, maybe you should just stay home. Okay, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, from the perspective of the air traveling community, I think it is a great thing that I'm not going to have to listen to somebody scream into their phone for three hours. What do you think? Uh, let us start. Let's, uh, let's go to Patrick in Delafield. Patrick, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Jeff. Um, I'm a territory salesman, and I hear way too many conversations with people on that are on speakerphone in restaurants right. and other stores. And, and they're almost that. never significant, right? I mean, you're, you're sitting in a nice restaurant, or you're just trying to eat, and most of the time, they're just blathering away. <laughs> it's, it's, it's nothing yeah, that couldn't it's, wait. And if you can't hear it, it's something you don't want to hear anyways. Yeah. She did what last night? I can't believe that. <laughs> yeah, it's, okay. Exactly. Yeah. So the idea of being stuck on an airplane with somebody having that conversation for three and a half hours and yelling into the phone, you say you're glad you can't do that. Yeah, there's too much of that that goes on. Yeah, I mean, thanks. Oh, I, right. And, and see, and, I mean, I, I'm sensitive to the idea that, that there is a role in cell phones and there's a need to be connected. I, I get that. Um, and for people who conduct business, I understand maybe you want to check your emails and do things like that. But nowadays, there is Wi-Fi that is available in planes. I understand that the knock is a lot of times the Wi-Fi is expensive and it's slow. But to me, that's something that, again, competition and market pressure is going to um, you know take care of. But the idea, I mean, I just... I do not believe that you need to be shouting into your cell phone at 30-some thousand feet for three hours. And I'm with the head of the FCC here. Uh, just give me a little quiet during that, that flight. Once the flight lands, if you want to get on the cell phone, fine. I'm glad this is off the table. It's 1142, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Eleven forty-six. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. Okay, we, I, there's one other thing I want to talk about just before we, we bring uh, Eric and Steve in for Scafidi and Bill Stat. So, uh, yesterday I picked up my new car. I, I've been talking about this for a while. I, I had a 2010 Ford Escape that was, 
it was very, very basic. And it was very, it was a good car, fine head, but it, w- it was time to kind of trade it in. So I, I bought a car on Saturday. I, I picked it up on, on Monday. I admit that I have had gadget envy because the, the car I used to have, it, it didn't have backup cameras. I mean, it, it, it didn't have any of, of the stuff that you get in the mind. It didn't have heated seats. didn't have any of that stuff. So the, the car that I, I have purchased, um, it, it has everything. I mean, it's just... It's you're sitting there and you feel like you're in an airplane yourself. You're kind of like looking at the console here, and there's all these different buttons. And I, I, I was with the salesperson for about 45 minutes yesterday as they were syncing up my iPhone to the, the thing. I've got all I've got all this stuff, and it's 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 you really do like you feel like you're in the cockpit of a of a jet fighter. And there's all these different things, and it's got the navigation screen, and it's all. And I'm just it's just it's like it's amazing. So uh, last night I, I went out to dinner with the woman I'm dating. Her by the way, everybody like emails. What's her her name is Fran. So Fran and I go out to dinner. All right, that that's we're out of the closet. Fran and I go out to dinner, and uh, we're we're in, I'm just like showing her the car, and and she's looking at me saying, "Okay, look, I, I have one request for you, Jeff. Here, for the love of God, you know, I know you're going to want to fidget with all these gadgets. Don't fidget with these gadgets while you're you're moving. Because I mean, I I still I freely admit that the woman at the dealership did a very very good job of of working me through these things. But I I still I don't know what half this stuff does. And I mean, I'm going to have to sit down, you know, with the owner's manual and they've got this computer link and things like that, and actually figure out all these different things because there's just so much stuff that's there. But but the gadgets that I'm I, I'm I'm seeing. I mean, it's the rear view camera. It's the side things that kind of like those wheel vibrates if you've got the vibe if you you know lane deviate it's all these different things it's all these different gadgets and i i was trying to resist the urge driving through a rainstorm yesterday to kind of like tinker around with these things and i'm saying okay jeff this is not the time to play with this while the car is moving but i have to tell you i'm going to spend probably an hour and a half this afternoon sitting in the driveway at my house like trying to play with all these buttons to figure it out but i my my initial impression my initial impression was how did I drive a car without all this stuff? It was just, I, I was wondering, I, I used to keep saying I don't need these things, and, and I admit I, I probably don't need them, but just even having a car for, this car, I've had it for less than 24 hours, just driving it around, it, it's all these new bells and whistles and stuff, and I, I mean, I admit I've had gadget envy for a lot of my friends who've had all these type of things. I was just, in the space of a couple minutes, I'm thinking, I'm not sure I could go back. All right, we've only got a couple minutes, so you need to call quickly. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. For any of you who might be in the situation I'm in, you've had an older car, you've driven it for years, you've now upgraded to one of the newer models that's got all these different bells and whistles, do you think you could ever go back? 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Like I said, I've had this for less than 24 hours. But it, it's kind of like, how cool is this different? How cool, how cool is this stuff? And, and you know, it's it's all these computerized touch screens. And, I mean, it, it's not like, hey, you just turn the radio on with this knob. You're pushing all these buttons. Is this addict? I could see how this stuff could be incredibly addictive. And, uh, again, um, I'm I'm not going to do this when the car is moving. I promised somebody that I won't do that. But um, 414-799-1620, um, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jerry on the text line says, what type of vehicle? Just curious. I got a Honda. Um, it's an SUV. The Honda CRV EXL is what I got. But it's it's got all the bells and whistles. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Can you Can you go back, for those of you who have made 
you know, made this this transition because I have to tell you, I think it's going to be one of the things I'm looking forward to over the next couple of days, figuring out all the different things that this that this thing can do. And I have no doubt that even even if I spend a few hours with it, I'm just going to be scratching the surface. Well, I did I did get like one thing like off kilter last night and it did i sat in the i sat in the driveway for about 15 minutes last night trying to figure out how I, that works sarah in greenfield sarah good morning hi hi sarah yeah, i'm from the old school also and then when i got one of these new cars um i'm driving and i'm not a car person right and all of a sudden it's <laughs> this voice comes yep. on and <laughs> says you know and i seriously almost ran off the road. i thought <laughs> yeah. someone was in my back seat right I'm going, Right. Yeah. You've got you got that button you push and then you talk to the woman who says, "Okay, what do you want to do? I didn't understand that voice message. Yeah. And I I literally pulled over and jumped out of the car. I thought in my backseat. So now I went to the car dealership and I said, can you like turn that off? You know, yeah, scaring me. So good luck. Okay. But do you like the new car? Um. Yeah. yeah. Not, all right. Okay. A little hesitant. All right. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Jeff in Wauwatosa. Jeff, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, Jeff. I went from a uh, about a 17-year-old Toyota Corolla that made me feel like a giraffe in a clown car <laughs> to a uh, 2014 Mazda CX-5 that had right. plenty of room and all these like awesome safety features. Right. And if I suddenly had to go back, I would freak out and have like a nervous <laughs> breakdown. Yeah, I uh, no, I mean again, it's it's again, it's one of there's all these different distractions. I, I I'm concentrating. You have to pay more attention to this stuff because there are all these different things out there, and there's the lights, these bells and whistles and stuff. Um, Chris on the text line says Bluetooth and heated seats are a must after buying a new VW. Um, Heated seats. I have had heated seat envy. This one has heated seats. Um, let's see. Uh, on our text line, we rented a 2016 Chrysler vehicle for a 3,200-mile trip in February. It was really hard to go back to my, my 1996 Oldsmobile. Yes, yeah, I could I could see how people um, you know get into this stuff. Mary in Sheboygan. Mary, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Mary. I just bought a new uh, Toyota RAV4 uh, in November, and we took it on a 4,600-mile road trip. Right. You don't really learn all the bells and whistles till you take it on a right. road trip. One of the cute things that happened was when you're driving four hours on the uh, uh, where the odometer and things, right. there's a little coffee cup yeah. pops up. And says, "Do you need a rest?" Yeah, I, the, the, and you're this, never going to see that unless you take it on a long trip. Yeah, the salesperson was telling me there's this coffee that exactly that that you know if you're in uh-huh. the car for a long time, this coffee cup thing will pop up. So, so yeah. could you go back to the old? Could you go back to like one that didn't have all the bells and whistles in it? I wouldn't want to. That's why I went to this one, <laughs> and the GPS will get me wherever I want to go. Um, yes, they, the, the salesperson was telling me this: the car I have has this self-driving feature where you can take the hands off your hands off the steering wheel if you're on the freeway at a certain thing, and it'll it'll actually do these sensor things. I'm like, well, I if, if, forgive me, I'm I'm not sure I'm going to quite go down that route. Jim in Kenosha. Jim, good morning. You're on six twenty BTMJ. Good morning. I'm through the Bluetooth on this. <laughs> Just pick, I'm just pulling into work, and I picked this car up on New Year's Eve. Um, I'd uh, you know, pick it up before the end of 2016 and get the deals. Right. And all the trial stuff that came with OnStar, you know, the Wi-Fi, the right. XM radio, and all that ended on April 1st. And when I first got it, I said, wow, I'm not going to renew that stuff. I don't, I don't need that. Well, guess who just uh, <laughs> gave a debit card 
the on start <laughs> for a six month uh, yeah. uh thing. Yeah. I, it's the first car, new car I've owned since 1994. Yeah, so you deserve to treat yourself. No, thank that. Yeah, that, 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 yeah I get it. I mean, thank, I'm sorry. I'm kind of. I wish we could talk a little more. I'm kind of up against the clock. Yeah, I um, well, that was kind of it. I mean, I I've had this car since 2010, and I had eighty some thousand miles on it, and st- it was starting. It was just, but you know, I wanted one. Okay, and, and this isn't. I, I actually I want a second one too, but that that might be excessive. But I'm I'm. Why do you need two cars? We don't need two cars. I might want them, but this one I'm telling you, bells and whistles and all. And, and like I say, I, I've had to I've had to promise somebody that I'm not going to play with it while I'm I'm driving. But if you see me sitting in the driveway of my house, there's nothing wrong. I'm just trying to figure out all the stuff, how the buttons work. It's 11:54. We'll find out what Steve Scafidi and Eric Billstad have on their minds. Stick around. It's 11:57. Jeff Wagner, 6:20 WTMJ. Yes, I I I no longer have auto envy. Steve Scafidi, Eric Bilstead, in for the big show. I love that conversation about new vehicles. I just, when I logged on to Facebook this morning, it said it was the two-year anniversary of when I bought my Ford F-150, <laughs> and I'm still learning where stuff is on that thing. <laughs> yeah. like, how do you turn this off, or how do you turn this uh, something else on? It's, it's, it's frustrating, but it's part of the fun of getting a new vehicle. Yeah, well, that's, it's, I'm, I, I, I was just having a blast. Like I said, I'm driving around. I, got, I mean, it's, it's got every bell and whistle. I've had gadget envy for years, and so now... At least on this one car, I've taken actually both of my cars now. I've taken care of that. And well, the new car smell it does have the new car smell. I, love that. I, I got it um, literally when the, I this is the one I test drove. It only had six miles on it. Just, so oh, it's, I, it only had that is a, a fresh one. I only had six miles. So I and so so that's it, it's all mine. So what do you guys got coming up on the big show? Well, lots going on. Obviously, uh, we're going to talk about the San Bernardino shooting. We're finding out more details about the the school situation, how he got in, some more uh, facts about his life and and their relationship together. Also, this this United story won't go away. So we're going to dig deeper on that. Uh, just how how social media impacts the news and 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 colors all of that stuff. So we'll we'll dig into that. Uh, we're going to talk some bucks too. Exciting playoffs. They're going to the playoffs, Eric. Yep. Second time in three years. Here we go. Yeah. And uh, after that February and that incredible March, uh, what mm. team can we expect? So all that's coming up on Scafidi and Billstead, but uh, that'll be after the news with Colleen Bolin. This is Scafidi and Billstead.